the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNOW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you need some help with your financial plan, money management, you can find me at chadburton.com. You can also email me questions for the show like Glenn did here. And uh, so I'm going uh, to hit on this. I feel like I've talked about it uh, a couple times, but maybe not enough. Let's spend some extra time talking about this because Glenn asked, he said, I've been debating with a friend on which is a better investment, stocks or real estate. Please help us settle this. Wish you the best. Thanks, Glenn. So this is a great question because it's one of those questions that you can answer with, well, it depends. <laughs> so first of all, it, it's very different um, you know, inv- starting investing in real estate versus starting investing in stocks. You can start investing in stocks through what's called ETFs or exchange-traded funds, with the, which is with as little as 100 bucks. I mean, you can buy ETFs, which are, you know, in the past you used to call them, say, index funds at Vanguard. Now you can buy ETFs for free at Schwab, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade. You can open up an account. You can put a, you know, some money into an ETF. You can tell them to reinvest those dividends, and you're off and running. You are an investor. You can use an app like Acorns to do it, for example. Um, so. It's a little bit different because you have to have already built a financial base to invest in real estate. Right? And I'm not talking about REITs. REITs are a type of stock that invest in real estate. So if you want to look at what some of uh, REIT stocks are, just type up the symbol RWR. That's a real estate ETF. You can see all the different types of commercial properties that are in there. Right. So... In order to be able to invest in real estate as a rental property, for example, you have to save up a down payment. You have to make sure that if you have a major repair or you go through a period of time like a COVID situation where people aren't paying you rent or you don't have a renter, that you can float it. You're not going to lose the home. People back in, in 2005 and 2006... People were lying. They were getting mortgages with zero down and they were buying multiple rental properties. And as soon as the financial system went into crisis mode and people stopped paying rent, people went from multimillionaires on paper to losing everything and having horrible credit for the next seven years as all of those loans got essentially called in. 
So you have to have a financial base to invest in real estate. So if you say, okay, let, let's let's get to a point where, all right, I've, I'm, I'm maxing out my 401k. Because if you're talking about stocks versus real estate, when it comes to stocks and you have the ability to put in pre-tax dollars into your 401k or money into a Roth IRA in stocks that grows tax-free forever, stocks are going to crush it every single time with those tax benefits. Every single time. So if a person's going to invest in real estate, first you need to put... You need to max out your 401k options. You need to max out your Roth IRA options. You need to make sure you have you know, 6 to 12 months of, of cash ex- expenses in cash. And then you need to have at least one year's worth of income saved up in a normal brokerage account. What I mean by that is if you're single, it's just a, a normal taxable brokerage account. If you're married, it's either a joint account or an account in your trust, something you can get at easily whenever you need to. And then, then you can say, okay, what's better? What's, what's the next best step? Is it more stocks or is it real estate? Stocks are so easy, especially in the world now of ETFs. When I got into the business 28 years ago, if you wanted to buy a stock, ETFs really weren't around yet. If you wanted to buy a stock, you're paying typically like a 2% commission to buy or sell. And then Bidwell came around and all of a sudden it was 1995 a trade and you know now it's essentially free. Um, but when you invest in stocks, either index funds or ETFs, you just you make the purchase, you instruct them to reinvest their dividends, and it's off and running. There's you just kind of set it and forget it. You continue to invest every month if you can. And it's crazy how fast it, it stacks up. When it comes to real estate, oh, and by the way, if you want the money back, you push a button, you can sell and have your money within three days when it comes to stocks. When it comes to real estate, you have a whole bunch of different things going on. First of all, if you, and in this first scenario, we're going to talk about, let's say you had a half a million dollars and you were going to either put, you, you, you have the comparison of putting a half a million dollars into, Say an index fund like the S&P 500, an ETF version of that would be SPY, IVV, VOO. All of those are S&P 500 trackers. Dividend yield of about what, 1.65% or so right now. So you have positive cash flow coming from that index fund and that's going to be reinvested to buy more shares of that index fund versus taking $500,000 and buying a rental property and sticking a renter in there and having some positive cash flow. So the pros of real estate, you know, um, it, it's it can be a hedge against inflation, right? Normally, housing prices tend to increase in value over time. Now, a lot of people think, and and again, there's pockets of huge returns that we see out there. Bay Area typically is like the first one to jump in value, and then the first one to fall really hard in value, but tends to recover quicker. I'm looking right now at the Case-Shiller Home Price Index, Composite 20, where it takes a look at the 20 largest metropolitan areas out there. And I'm looking at the, the increase in that index since the year 2000. 172% rate of return. 172.4% rate of return, to be precise. But guess what? The S&P 500, over that period of time, since the year 2000, total return 227.7%. That includes 
the uh, you know the the huge the credit crisis that we had that big decline from 2007 to 2000 uh, March of 2009 big decline and then it just skyrocketed back up now for several of those years there's periods of time where the case shiller home price index was outperforming the S&P 500 but the returns have been much larger on stocks on a on a comparison of price across the country right so I'm going to put that out there right away. A lot of people think about their home values and what I paid for it years ago. But when you actually do the math and you look at 20 plus rolling periods, stocks crush it almost every single time. Almost every single time. Now, a couple of the positives again of, of real estate is that when you buy a rental property... Everything happens on a Schedule E of the tax return. And you need to study this thing before you ever get into real estate and know how it works. Because on a Schedule E, that's where you show, here's my rental income. But against that rental income, I can write off my expenses. Like if you pay a, pay a property manager, if you do any maintenance, any, any costs that you have. And by the way, then you can take that whatever's left over in terms of positive cash flow... And you can take the value of the structure on the property, divide it by 27 and a half. And that's an additional amount that you get to deduct in terms of taxation on that positive cash flow. So real estate can be pretty tax efficient because of that depreciation. Dividends from stocks on US corporations get taxed at 15%, 23.8% if you're at a high income earner. So, We'll talk a little bit more about this after the break. We'll talk about the pros and cons of real estate and then comparisons of with and without debt. Which one wins, stocks or real estate? Um, today, talking about stocks versus real estate. And so the, the, I mean, we talk about stocks all the time. You know, stocks are easy. You can buy the S&P 500. You can buy SPY, IVV, VOO, all our ETFs that track the S&P 500. You can put the money in there. You can have the dividends reinvested for free. And you can watch your wealth grow. 70% of the time, the market's positive. 30% of the time, it's negative. But when you look at 20-year rolling periods, your average annual rates of return are usually around 10 11%. And so when I'm talking about these, these situations, I'm talking about 20-year periods. That's, that's where you typically get through two cycles, whether it's stocks or real estate. So... If you on a pure price appreciation, just look at any Case Shiller index in terms of composites. You can look at you know 20, 30 different metropolitan areas. And since the year 2000, stocks, even with the Great Recession, have crushed real estate in terms of price appreciation. Now, there's going to be pockets of the country where that's a little bit different, right? There's always pockets. There's always there's even always stocks that drastically outperform the overall market and that that rate of return. But we're talking about, you know, in a general basis. And some of the advantages that we've talked about, again, you know, real estate can, can serve as a bit of a hedge against inflation because as we have economic growth and inflation, typically rents go up. And I see a lot of real estate investors make that mistake. Well, the tenant's really good. So we've, we haven't raised it around in years. That's ridiculous. You know, that's nice, but that's not great in terms of, your overall cash flow, because I see a lot of people in the Bay Area. We we do 
you know, full real estate analysis for our clients. And all too often, I look at a property that somebody's got, you know, eight hundred to a million dollars in in the Bay Area, and their true net income is like two or three percent after they pay all of their expenses, and in some cases, like condos, HOA fees, and things like that. Not a good deal. Ugh, makes me cringe. And that's because after prices went up so much. In fact, there's a lot of press right now about the Michigan sentiment index in terms of what a bad time it is to actually buy right now because of the jump in real estate values. Um, the, the cons of real estate is that real estate is a lot more work than stocks. Even if a, you have a property manager, you're going to have issues that you have to deal with as a landlord. Real estate has transactions costs to get in and get out. And it's illiquid. You can't just push a button and sell it. Now, right now, you almost can, right? It's a seller's market. But that doesn't always last. Just think about 2007, 8, and 9. Housing prices crashed. People were, you know, short selling their homes left and right. And it, it, you know, bad situation. And it can be difficult to diversify your investments out of real estate. You can do, if you, if you have a property you no longer want to buy, you can do a 1031 exchange and move it to a new property. Um, but sometimes you get to an area where you're like, okay, the cash flow isn't great. So now I got to go out of state. That means I got to visit the property. I got to find a good real estate agent, a good property manager, another part of the country where I want to invest. That's not the issue when it comes to stocks. It's pretty easy to go on and buy large, small, mid cap, international, emerging markets. Pretty easy to buy and diversify your investments. Now, real estate can also have lots of unexpected expenses. For example, in the office building that I own, gotten to a point where the, the landscaping was all done in 2006 and it just doesn't look good anymore. I've been, you know, basically, long story short, I'm having to rip out all the landscaping at my office building. It's going to cost about $17,000 to pull everything out, fix some of the irrigation and replant because the plants and stuff like that are there. They just got too big. They're not right. They're really not fixable. It just doesn't look good anymore. And that's that's true with a lot of different situations. That's why if you buy a rental property, make sure you're really aware of the type of plants that go in there and that they're kind of longer term, low maintenance. They're not going to get too big. Um, like the tree in front of my own home, which I've had to rip out because the roots started going towards the foundation. You see what I'm getting at? There's, there's expenses that happen in real estate. I told you lots of rental horror stories. You know, there's a lot of good rental. There's a lot of good rent stories. I mean, I own rental properties. I love real estate, so don't get me wrong here. But I love stocks even more. They're way easier. They've outperformed over time. They're a lot less risk. Right. Um, I, I was talking about a client of mine that they love stocks. They love real estate. And over the last oh, about twelve years or so, um. Their system was basically they would typically put 30, 40% down, do a mortgage, and buy a newly built property. And so they came up near our Vancouver, Washington office from Orange County area and were buying up there and, and a couple of properties in Ridgefield and Camas, Washington, which has had phenomenal growth rate. Gotten to be expensive now, but it was a really good buy. But seven years ago, the new house that they bought, built by Lennar, um, well, it needs a new roof already. Now, 
Lennar is blaming, they say, it's not our fault. It's, you didn't maintain the moss on the roof. And then the client's like, well, hey, property manager, why didn't you do anything about the moss? You're supposed to be managing the property. And it's a big round robin issue in terms of who's going to pay for what. Long story short, he's out of pocket $27,000 for a new roof on a seven-year-old home. That's supposed to be a 30-year roof. So that's an issue. That's unexpected expenses. That's why I'm telling you, if you're going to get into real estate, it can be very successful, but you have to have a financial base. You can't be broke and leverage your way into wealth. We saw people try to do that in 2006 and seven, and look at how that ended. You get through periods of time where you might get some really good renters for four or five years, and then they move and you get a dirt bag. You get a squatter. You get somebody like a client of mine that bought a house in Santa Cruz and it took a year and a half to get this professional squatter out of their house so they could remodel and, and essentially do a teardown of this thing. And speaking of remodels, look, if you have a property that gets rented for 5, 10 years, there's a lot of wear and tear that goes into that. So when before the next renter moves in, you're typically replacing carpet, you're painting, you're replacing appliances. All every year, you're also paying property taxes, people. And insurance and all those different things that show up on the Schedule E that I was talking about before. So when you're doing an apple to apples comparison, if you say, I'm going to buy a piece of real estate for $500,000 and rent it out. And then I'm going to take $500,000 and put it into the stock portfolio, whether it's total stock market index or S&P 500, and reinvest those dividends. And you compare those two things. And even if you take that positive cash flow from that rental property that you have and put it into, let's say, another portfolio of of, uh, stocks or even just real estate investment trusts and let the two ride for 20 years, the stocks are going to win every time. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcase is always packed pass. Or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. Today, talking about stocks versus real estate. So this apples to apples comparison, if you had 500 grand and you put it into, let's say the S&P 500 or total stock market index and reinvested the dividend versus putting 500 grand into a rental property, and I'm talking about no leverage here. And then you have positive cash flow from that rental property. You got to put that somewhere, right? So let's say you put that in a portfolio of REITs, real estate investment trusts. Again, another exposure to real estate. Those are stocks that are just invest in real estate. But every time you have expenses, you pull from that account where you've shoved your positive cash flow and you know you pay your expenses. But if you go through a situation where you have a large expense, right, like having to do a new roof, a big remodel to get new renters in there, or you run out of positive cash flow because you're paying taxes and a property manager, every time that account where you're shoving your positive cash flow, every time you have to uh, exceed that and go into your personal expenses, that means you have to add more into that stock portfolio as a true apples to apples comparison. And in that situation, if you look at, like I said, if you even just look at any of the Case Shiller or long term home price indexes, where since the year 2000, up 172.4%, but the SP 500 over that period of time, even with a great recession where there was a decline of about 50% from peak to trough, 
2009, S&P 500 is up 227.7%. So there you go. I mean, it's at a price level, stocks win. At a, at a liquidity level, stocks win. At a simplicity level, stocks win. You just reinvest the dividends and watch it grow. You don't have to deal with renters. You don't have to deal with uh, you know, property managers and paying taxes and paying expenses and having somebody paint. If you've got a, a family of four in there for five or six years with young kids, stuff gets dinged up. I know. I've got four kids. Stuff gets destroyed. And so you always hear about those... Oh, I bought this house back in the eighties for hundred grand. It's worth eight hundred thousand dollars today. That's way better than stocks. No, it's not. If you would have put that money into stocks and reinvested the dividends, you would have you would have never remodeled your house or replaced a water heater or paid property taxes or anything else. See what I'm getting at? So on a cash for cash, apples to apples comparison, stocks win every time over twenty year plus periods. Now, where real estate can keep up with or exceed stocks is with leverage, right? Other people's money. OPM, that's what all those kind of creepy real estate you know, groups get together and talk about. Um, and, and I love real estate. I've got rental properties. And one of the smartest things I did is bought my own office building so that my own company can lease it from me. Some tax advantages there and it's a good tenant, right? It's me. So, uh, and I look for deals in real estate all the time. But look, I I I, I concentrated on focusing on maxing out my four hundred one k and backdoor Ross and all that kind of stuff, building a financial base, having liquidity, because I know from dealing with people in finance for twenty eight years that things come up with real estate that you have to pay for if you don't have emergency reserves. Because again, we just talked about stocks crush real estate over time. So when you have stocks inside of a 401k where you put in money pre-tax or inside of a Roth that grows tax-free, stocks really crush real estate over time. But real estate can't keep up with stocks over time if there's leverage involved. So if you look at a different example, if, you, if you've gotten to that point in life where, hey, I've maxed out my 401k, I've maxed out my Roth, I've got my emergency reserve set up. I've got a year's worth of of income saved in index funds or ETFs or stocks, whatever, that I can access at any point I want to for an emergency. Look, I'm now looking to buy a rental property. But when you buy a rental property, let's say you're looking for a half a million dollar rental property. So that's expensive for a rental in some areas. It's about right in areas like Portland, Vancouver, Camas area. It's super expensive if you're looking like a rental property in Oklahoma. You know what I mean? It's let's just use a five hundred thousand dollar example. You got to put twenty percent down. That's a hundred grand. So if you take a comparison of putting a hundred thousand dollars into a stock portfolio and reinvesting it versus putting a hundred thousand dollars into a real estate investment with a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage. And then any positive cash flow that you have. Now, if you don't have positive cash flow after you pay your property taxes, your property manager, all your other you know costs associated with real estate, if you don't have positive cash flow, I would avoid it. I hate negative cash flow real estate. If I can't put 23% down on a property and after I rent it out, have positive cash flow, avoid it like the plague. That is not a good deal. 
right? And that's kind of what we're looking at. Prices have increased so much. Rents have not kept up. It's harder to find good deals in real estate right now. But in that scenario, if you have your rental property and anytime you have positive cash flow, you turn around and pay down the debt on that property. So you have a true apples to apples comparison on a leveraged piece of real estate versus $100,000 in the stock portfolio. But every time, again, you had to dip into your personal reserves to pay for anything on that rental property, that means you have to make an additional investment into the stock portfolio. That would be the true apples to apples comparison. And in that type of scenario, because of the leverage, because you took $100,000 of your own money to buy an asset worth $500,000. So your return is going to be you know, somewhere between the long range, somewhere around 6 or 7% long range on that 500K. But you only put hundred grand into it. You see what I mean? So you're, you're getting 6 7% growth over a 20-year period on $500,000, but you only put $100,000 of your money to get that growth on that. So that, that makes it a large return on your initial investment. You see what I'm saying? And then the debt eventually gets paid off over time and then you have an asset that's 100% positive cash flow. That's how this, the real estate can keep up with stocks over a 20-year plus period. But you have a lot more risk in order to make that happen. You have risk of losing renters. You have risk of bad renters. You have risks of natural disasters, housing crises, COVID where people don't pay you rent. You see what I mean? There's a lot more risk involved into it. So in terms of my love of different things, first of all, you know, max out that 401k in the Roth and, and, and invest in stocks. Love that, number one. Find a way that you can start a business and become your own, you know, your owner that makes more than what you're doing now. That's probably number two. But in terms of actual investing, stocks over real estate, real estate over bonds, hands down. So what younger people should be concentrating on, 20s and 30s, max out the 401k, max out the Roth, get those emergency reserves saved up, save a year's worth of income in index funds, and then buy positive cash flow rental properties. And that way you are letting other people pay down the debt. You get to a point where you get you know, 30 years later when that real estate is paid off, maybe even sooner. You have dividends from your stocks. You gotta, if you want to talk to kids about positive cash flow and, and in passive income, stocks pay dividends. And if you look at different dividend achiever ETFs like VIG, which I own, and this is not a recommendation. Some of the stuff's a little expensive in there right now, I would say. But um, they have a history of raising their dividend. Most of the companies in that index have a history of raising their dividend by 10% a year. So you get the positive cash flow from your dividends on your stocks. You get the positive cash flow from your real estate, which has a lot of tax efficiency because of the depreciation and the way a Schedule E works. And I could care less about bonds personally right now. I do have a sprinkling of bonds in my 401k so that if I have a correction, I have some powder dry to, to buy. That's how I deal with corrections is I buy. Um, but you know, right now... If you're in your 30s, 40s, and 50s, and you feel like you have enough stocks, then you know look at positive cash flow real estate if you can find it. I, I think you have to be very patient right now. 
very, very patient. I was just looking at one of the Michigan sentiment indexes in terms of affordability of housing, and it is a all-time low. Low interest rates and a massive amount of cash, trillion of extra dollars into our economic system has caused real estate prices to increase. If you've listened to me for the last geez, I don't know, 20 years on radio, the, if you're looking at a piece of real estate and say, is this a good deal or not? I always used to say, like, just pretend that you could pay it off. Like, pretend you bought that piece of that rental property for all cash and rented it out. And after you pay your property taxes, you set aside some money for maintenance, you pay for your insurance, and you pay a property manager. Make sure your positive cash flow is, you know, five or six percent. You can't barely do that right now. Maybe it's four percent. That four percent is kind of the new. Uh, tests. Now, would I buy it for all cash? No. In fact, the last rental property I bought, I did have to buy it for all cash, but then turn around within 90 days, you do a mortgage on it and you could get the same as if you bought it, same rates as if you bought it, uh, you know, with a loan. But the problem is lately is everything is all cash offers, right? And you got to close within a certain period of time and you have to have the cash to do that. And then you got to refinance it later. And I, I got to say, when I won that last bid on the last rental property I did, um, I was like, oh, great. I won. I wasn't like super excited about the deal because prices have gone, you know, really, really high. And as interest rates go up, as the Fed stops buying bonds this next month, the next, it's by probably the first quarter of next year, and interest rates start to go up. If our economy is still going at this level, because the economy is doing really well, interest rates will go up. And that's a negative impact on housing prices. Well, I hope I kind of proved the point here. And you can do a lot of studying on your own. But in terms of a purely price appreciation situation, stocks outperform real estate over time. Real estate can keep up with or exceed stocks with leverage, which means a lot more risk and headache. But it's possible. And getting to a point in life where you have enough dividend from your stocks and income from your real estate and that's all you need to live, boy, that's financial freedom right there because you have inflation protection, right? If you're raising rents by 2 to 3% a year and you're investing in stocks of companies that tend to increase their dividend, you've got some inflation protection there. It's a great place to be. That's what younger people should really focus on. Max out that 401k, max out the Roths, start building your emergency reserves, get a year's worth of income saved up in index funds or ETFs, like just like total stock market index type of a situation. And then save up your down payment for that first rental property. But you got to make sure the deals are good. Right now, it's hard to find good deals. And you might want to just continue to save until you have some sort of a... Either you find that good deal or things kind of correct a little bit because housing prices are a little bit out of whack. Now, let's say you just don't want to be a landlord. A lot of people don't. In fact, we're, we're actually helping quite a few people right now um, and even you know, long-term clients start to divest themselves of rental properties because they're just tired of dealing with it. Even with a good landlord, there's issues that they have to deal with. They got their price appreciation out of it. They kind of want to move on. And so you can you know, 1031 exchange into DSTs, which are kind of you know, ways you can kick back and just take income and get into you know, a property leased out by like Amazon or something like that. So there's, there's 1031 exchange options that are out there. Um, charitable remainder trusts. There's there's different ways to divest yourself. That's a whole other show. If you want to invest in real estate without that headache of being a landlord or leveraging, there's still REITs, real estate investment trusts. 
if you look at RWR or IYR, um, those are ETFs that invest in REITs, real estate investment trusts. If you look at the S&P 500, August, about two or three years ago, they actually separated REITs out of the financial sector. That's why there's 11 sectors now. And REITs are about 3% of the S&P 500. So if you look at that since the year 2000, like I talked about, um, when you look at... I think actually this is from 2000. Yeah, year 2000. Yep. That's what I'm looking at this chart. When you've got the Case-Shiller Home Price Index Composite 20, so 20 of the largest metropolitan areas in terms of what are the prices done over time, that's up 140.1%. The RWR ETF is up 217.7%. So even that beat it with a current income yield of about 3%, but a heck of a lot more volatility. Um, S&P 500 up almost 260%. That read index has had a lot more volatility even than the S&P 500. It went way up until about 2008 or 2007 or so. Then a big correction with the Great Recession. And then it was off and running again. Um, but... REITs had a pretty big correction because of COVID. People stopped paying rent. Get it? So kind of decent buying opportunity though back last year on REITs. Um, there's some good active managers in the world of REITs too out there. Like Cohen and Steers has some funds out there that um, I've looked at in the past. Uh, again, none of these are recommendations. Consult a broker advisor before taking any action. But when you're just investing in stocks or S&P 500 or total stock market index, you might be re- missing some real estate exposure if you're not doing rental properties on your own. And that's REITs as a way to add to that. Um, currently, the income yield on... I don't know. Let's look, at, let's look at IYR. We already mentioned RWR, that which is the Dow Jones Industrial Real Estate Index. If we look at IYR, which is iShares version of that ETF... Um, Boy, the current dividend yield on that is only 1.68%. In terms of the types of companies that it holds in there, you have American Tower Corp, cell phones, Prologis, Crown Castle, Equinox, Public Storage, Simon Properties Group, Digital Realty, Well Tower. So you've got, a, you know, you've got some cell towers, you've got some digital storage facilities, you've got uh, public storage, you've got office properties, um, and you're going to have exposure to like hospital REITs and healthcare REITs and things like that all in one spot. So it's a way to do that. But when you have conversations with people of, oh, my, my home has been the biggest you know, increase in value versus stocks, they can't prove that. On an apples to apples comparison, you cannot prove that because every time you pay property taxes, every time you remodel, every time you had to buy a new appliance or whatever it may be, you would have to add additional money into the stock portfolio to get the true comparison. And on a price appreciation level, when you look at most 10 and definitely most in all 20-year rolling periods, stocks have won. When you look out at the stock market, you know I don't know what's going to happen in the next five years. But when I look at 20-year periods and beyond, which is how long you should be considering investing, you can assume that stocks will likely continue to average what they have over the last 30, 40, 50 years, which is 10, 11%, including the dividends. Real estate price appreciation, you should assume when you're doing projections, you know, maybe 6%, maybe you know, negative for the next couple of years, potentially, if interest rates increase a lot. Where you win in real estate is by taking more risk 
and headache with the leverage. And so I encourage people to do it, but be financially stable before you do so. And, but man, what a smart way to go. So the people that, you know, drive used cars and don't buy lattes every day and they save enough, enough money to max out their 401k and eventually put a down payment on a rental property that they're financially ready for, they're going to win. They're going to win over time. They're the ones that make the right decision. Focus on buying assets that have positive cash flow, either in the form of dividends like stocks, rental income that's tax efficient like real estate properties. And again, eventually bonds will become a little bit more attractive. Right now, historically low interest rates on bonds. When I got into the business, you could buy bond portfolios 6-7%. Be happy. Right now, you can't do that. Got to be diversified, but you also have to understand what you're investing in. And uh, again, Glenn, I hope I hope uh, I helped you win your side of the argument that stocks, an apples apples comparison of price appreciation, beat real estate over time. But real estate can win if you do it the right way. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me at chadburton.com, Facebook, LinkedIn, iTunes. All the podcast links are at chadburton.com. Have a great day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.